0: So, uh, my name is Deepa, this is the 31st in the series of podcasts from British Society for Hematology on published guidelines. This podcast focuses the guidelines for thrombophilia testing. This podcast has been recorded over Zoom due to ongoing COVID-19 pandemic and we apologize for any loss in sound quality that may occur. I am Deepa Arachilage and a consultant hematologist specialised in hemostasis and thrombosis at Imperial College Healthcare NHS Trust, an honorary senior lecturer and MRC Cup Fellow at Imperial College London. I have been a consultant since 2016 and the same year I was selected to be a part of the hemostasis and thrombosis task force for British Society for Hematology. My main research interests are inflammation, endothelial dysfunction, autoimmune thrombotic disorders, including antipospholipid syndrome and acquired bleeding disorders. First, I will talk about the reasons for updating this guideline before moving into the significance of thrombophilia testing in children and adult and also pregnancy complication. And finally, moving into the recommendation on thrombophilia testing in thrombosis and in pregnancy. The previous British Society for Hematology guideline on testing for heritable thrombophilia, which was written 12 years ago, included, as the title indicates, only the heritable thrombophilia. The current guideline we update and widen the scope of current to include both heritable and acquired thrombophilia. The term thrombophilia generally used to describe hereditary or acquired condition associated with an increased tendency for thrombosis. Heritable thrombophilia refer to a genetic disorders of a specific hemostatic protein. The most clearly defined heritable thrombophilia are Factor V Leiden variant, Prothrombin gene variant, Protein C, Protein S, and Antithrombin deficiencies. Important acquired thrombophilia include antiphospholipid syndrome, paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, myeloproliferative neoplasm, and the presence of a JAK2 mutation in the absence of an MPN phenotype. This guideline focuses only the factors that are identified from laboratory testing, and therefore we have excluded disorders such as cancer, inflammatory condition, and obesity that are associated with thrombosis through multiple mechanisms. Pregnancy is a hypercoagulable state due to partly to the physiological changes in both coagulation and the fibrinolytic system. Heritable and acquired thrombophilia can interact together to further increase the risk of thrombosis, for example, during pregnancy and the puperium. As there is evidence that some thrombophilia may be associated with pregnancy failure and complications, testing for this purpose also included in this guideline. We know inappropriate thrombophilia testing is a significant burden to NHS cost as well as creating unnecessary anxiety to both patients and the clinician. Deficiencies of physiological anticoagulants can interact with acquired risk, and a transient provoking factor is present in approximately 50% of episode of venous thromboembolism in genetically predisposed patients. Since deficiencies of natural anticoagulant are caused by multiple different genetic variants, clinical laboratory assessments is generally based on the measurement of plasma activities or concentration rather than molecule analysis. And also, acquired causes of deficiencies of naturally occurring anticoagulants should always be considered before testing and when interpreting the results, as if this present, it may not be possible to reliably diagnose the hereditary deficiency. When we decide to do the testing for deficiencies of physiological anticoagulant in patients with thrombosis, this should be performed only after three months of anticoagulation for acute thrombosis, as there is uncertainty over the validity of the results, which can lead to repeat testing and also lead into increased costs. And there is no evidence that it may influence the acute management in acute setting. Often, the thrombophilia defect found in women with pregnancy complications may be viewed as the cause for their adverse pregnancy outcome. And also, this may provide the affected couple with the false belief that a potentially incidentally discovered thrombophilia abnormality was the cause of their adverse pregnancy outcome. Additionally, it may cause false fear in couples for future pregnancy outcomes especially the common thrombophilic abnormality like factor V Leiden mutation. Based on current evidence, heritable thrombophilia testing is not required outside a clinical trial for women with recurrent pregnancy losses or late pregnancy complications. Despite the widespread recommendations against the use of thrombophilia testing in many situations, Inappropriate thrombophilia testing is frequent in many centers, especially women with pregnancy complications. Therefore, this guideline aims to reduce the inappropriate thrombophilia testing by providing evidence-based recommendation. However, I should emphasize that any guideline recommendations, strength of the recommendation varied widely based on the available evidence. In situations where clinical utility of testing is not clear, testing is clearly not mandatory. Here, we refer to the clinical utility as the ability of a test to improve clinical outcome. We should counsel the patients in advance of any decisions on whether or not to undertake thrombophilia testing. The discussion should include why we test and how it is going to change our management of the patient. Elevated level of procoagulant factors may increase the risk of thrombosis, but the relationship is is not straightforward due to first part of the variance in genetic and therefore lifelong, but some is acquired so that comorbidities like obesity or inflammation confound the estimate of the effect. Secondly, some factors, most notably factor V, have anticoagulant effects that counterbalance the procoagulant effect from their elevation. In a meta analysis of 12 genomic wide association studies, or GWAS, for venous thromboembolism, have identified variant in factor 2, factor V, factor XI, and fibrinogen gene linked to thrombosis as well as non alleles of abo which mediate their effect via increased level of uh, von willebrand factor and secondary to secondary factor 8 levels however the relevance of these genetic variants to routine clinical practice is not clear at present therefore Testing of coagulation factors to assess the risk of thrombosis is not currently recommended. Factor V Leiden and prothrombin gene variant are the most commonly tested genetic variant predisposing to venous thromboembolism. However, their prevalence varies in populations of different ethnicity. For example, heterozygosity for factor V Leiden is present in about 5% of individual of European descent, but it is rare or absent in peoples from Sub-Saharan Africa, East Asia, and indigenous populations of Americas and Australia. At the same time, heterozygosity for Prothrombin gene variant is present one to two percent of the Europeans, and it is rare or absent in other ethnic populations. The risk associated with thrombosis um, with heterozygous protein C and protein S deficiency are similar or greater than those associated with factor V Leiden variant or prothrombin gene variant. But these deficiencies of natural anticoagulant much less common and contribute relatively little to the population burden of venous thromboembolism. Genetic testing to identify causative variants responsible for phenotypically identified deficiencies of antithrombin, protein C, protein S, should be performed only when the results will influence the patient's management. One of the most common questions coming from general practice to the hematologist is whether individuals with first degree relatives with the history of venous thromboembolism should be tested for thrombophilia. So, except for selective testing of asymptomatic first degree relatives of probrand with protein C, protein S, and antithrombin deficiencies. Where the identification of these variants or the deficiencies will influence the management and the life choices, depending on the personal circumstance, the testing may be required. On all other situations, testing is not recommended. It is important to emphasize genetic testing for variants in gene, for example, MTHFR, serine one may variant, especially PI1 plasma level without a clinically significant link to thrombosis is not currently recommended. Moving into the acquired thrombophilia, there are three important acquired thrombophilic conditions that may alter the management of patients with thrombosis. These include myeloproliferative neoplasm, paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobinuria, and antipospolipid syndrome, and also presence of a clone characterized by a jak 2 mutations in the absence of an MPN phenotype, also associated with arterial and venous thrombosis. Thrombosis associated with paroxysmal nocturnal hemoglobin urea and MPN can occur anywhere in the venous or arterial system. But this is particularly Happen in unusual site, for example, splanchnic vein thrombosis, which include portal vein, mesenteric vein, and splenic vein thrombosis. And also the unusual site thrombosis can include cerebral venous sinus thrombosis. In MPN, thrombosis often precede disease recognition. Molecular abnormalities primarily. V617F mutations in JAK2 exon 12 can found in 95% of polycythemia vera and also exon 12 mutation in most remaining patients and in about 60 to 70% of essential thrombocythemia and myelofibrosis patients can have positive JAK2 mutation Isolated JAK2 mutations occur in about 0.1 to 0.2 percent of general population without an MPN phenotype, and this has been recognized about 2.9 to 5.6 percent of patients with cerebral venous sinus thrombosis with no MPN phenotype. Therefore, patients with thrombosis at unusual site and abnormalities in full blood count suggestive of myeloproliferative neoplasm testing for mpn panel is recommended the mpn panel generally include jak2 mutation v617f jak2 exon12 kala and mpl mutation analysis Splanginic vein thrombosis or cerebral venous sinus thrombosis are the most common unusual side thrombosis associated with JAK2 mutation. Therefore, testing is suggested in patients with splanginic vein thrombosis or cerebral venous sinus thrombosis in the absence of a clear provoking factors, even with the normal full blood count, as the, the identification of JAK2 mutations will alter the patient management in addition to providing anticoagulation. Testing for PNH is suggested in patients with thrombosis at unusual sites and abnormal hematological parameters, especially with patients with cytopenia and um, abnormal red cell indices or evidence of hemolysis um, indicated by race lactate dehydrogenase raised bilirubin and reticulocyte count. Again, this is suggested because identification of PNH clone will alter the patient's management in addition to giving anticoagulation. Antipospolipid syndrome is an acquired highly prothrombotic disease caused by a heterogeneous group of antibodies. Based on evidence from randomized control studies, especially the finding from TRAPS trial, which was a prospective randomized phase 3 open-label non-inferior study comparing rivaroxaban 20 or 15 mg daily, depending on the creatinine clearance, versus warfarin, with a target INR of 2.5. European Medicine Agency and the Medicine and Healthcare Product Regulatory Agency, MHRA, recommended against the use of DOAC in thrombotic antiphospholipid syndrome especially those with triple positive antiphospholipid antibodies british society for hematology adopted similar approach and we recommended doac should not be used for patients with triple positive antiphospholipid syndrome or patients with arterial thrombosis irrespective of the antibody profile in antiphospholipid syndrome Therefore, screening of antipospholipid antibodies is recommended following an unprovoked venous thromboembolism because this may alter the management including choice of the antithrombotic therapy in patients. In addition, screening for antipospholipid antibody also suggested in patients with venous thromboembolism provoked by minor risk factors as this may alter the management, including the choice of antithrombotic therapy, as in previous recommendation. Deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism are generally considered as thrombosis at usual site. Thrombosis at unusual site account for about 10% of all causes of venous thrombosis, affecting any venous region other than the deep or superficial veins of the lower limb or those involved in pulmonary circulations. And these include cerebral venous sinus thrombosis, splanchnic vein thrombosis, retinal vein thrombosis, renal vein thrombosis, and ovarian vein thrombosis. Therefore, testing for heritable thrombophilia in patients with thrombosis, if only indications for thrombosis at unusual site is not recommended because the association is very weak and management would not change Presence of the heritable thrombophilic defect in these patients. However, testing for MPN panel is required in patients with thrombosis at unusual site, with full blood count abnormalities suggestive of a myeloproliferative neoplasm, and also. Genetic testing for JAK2 mutation is required in patients with splanchnic vein thrombosis or cerebral venous sinus thrombosis in the absence of clear provoking factors, even if the full blood count is normal. As in previous recommendations, this is because identification of MPN or JAK2 mutation will alter the patient management in addition to the anticoagulation. Furthermore, we suggested testing for antipospolipid antibodies in patients with thrombosis at unusual sites in the absence of a clear provoking factors as this will alter the type of the anticoagulation and also duration of the anticoagulation of the patients with the thrombosis. However, we do not recommend heritable thrombophilia testing in patients as this will not alter the patient's management. The arterial thrombosis and the heritable thrombophilia, the relationship is not very clear. So we do not recommend testing for heritable thrombophilia in patients with arterial thrombosis. Also, if the patient had arterial thrombosis without a clear provoking factors, actually we recommend testing for antipospholipid antibodies as this will definitely alter the patient's management. If the patients with arterial thrombosis have relevant abnormal full blood count parameters suggestive of neoplasm or PNH, testing is required in such situations. If a patient develops ischemic stroke without a clear provoking factors, Testing for heritable thrombophilia, again, is not recommended as there is no clear relationship between the two. However, we recommend antipospolipid antibodies testing in patients especially less than 50 years of age in the absence of identifiable risk factors for cardiovascular disease because this will definitely alter the patient's management, including the choice of antithrombotic therapy. If a patient develops stroke with abnormal full blood count suggestive of PNH or MPN, this mutation should be tested as this will alter the patient's management. There are only limited circumstances that specific thrombophilia testing is required in children. These situations include neonate and children with perfura fulminans. We are testing for protein C and S deficiency required urgently. And also neonate with multiple unexplained thrombosis, especially with clinical evidence suggestive of catastrophic antipospolipid syndrome, testing for the antiphospholipid antibodies are required. However, it is the most common situations we get requests from pediatrics clinicians that whether thrombophilia screening is required in children or neonate with stroke at present thrombophilia screening is not routinely recommended for neonate with stroke recurrent miscarriage and pregnancy related complications cause significant stress to couples looking for successful pregnancy outcome as well as to healthcare professionals however we have conflicting evidence with respect to the presence and the strength of the association between inherited thrombophilia and these complications. We know complete thrombophilia screen is expensive and also no no proven effective treatment for women with recurrent miscarriage and inherited thrombophilia. Despite this Inappropriate thrombophilia testing is more, most widely performed for pregnancy morbidities. There are only few situations where specific thrombophilia testing may be required in pregnancy complication, and this includes testing for antithrombin deficiency, where a woman pregnant with a non-family history of this deficiency or evidence of heparin resistance. For women with recurrent or late pregnancy loss, screening for antipospolipid antibodies can be considered as a result. This may help to risk stratifications and treatment decisions. Additionally, in women with history of unprovoked venous thromboembolism, testing for antipospolipid antibodies should be considered, but this should be performed outside pregnancy as the testing for antipospolipid antibodies may be affected during the pregnancy and the results may not be reliable. However, it's important to emphasize we do not recommend or we recommend against the heritable thrombophilia screening in women with pregnancy complications, especially recurrent miscarriage or adverse pregnancy outcome. In summary, I have discussed the significance of thrombophilia testing in two clinical situations of thrombosis in children and adult, and also pregnancy complications. Finally, moving into the recommendation on thrombophilia testing in thrombosis, both children and adults, and also when to test in pregnancy. The full guidelines on thrombophilia testing is available at the BSH website. I invite you to visit BSH Guideline website for more exciting podcasts from British Society for Humanology about various important guidelines. Thank you for listening.